Hello and welcome back to reading and evaluating the Dead Sea Scrolls. I know it's been a couple weeks and unfortunately this recording is a little bit later than I'd like it to be due to some noise interference that happened this morning. Oh well. With that said though, let's jump right in and hopefully today we can finish up the pseudepigrapha of the Qumran community. To freshen your memory here, the pseudepigrapha is where they put words into important dead people's mouths to try to get them to say things that they didn't say when they were alive to shore up Qumran's terrible, no good, awful theology. Qumran was certainly not the first to engage in the practice of pseudepigrapha, but in all of my years of study, I've never seen a worse collection of pseudepigrapha than here in the Dead Sea Scrolls. I mean, there's the Nag Hammadi Library. They get pretty bad with it, with the Apocryphon of James and the uh, Gospel of Peter or whatever, the Thomas Gospel. Yeah, those are all pretty bad, but this really takes the cake. And we continue today with pseudo-Ezekiel. Oh, man. Ezekiel must be like catnip for these people since he does write with apocalyptic tones and he does write on mysterious topics, doesn't he? I'm surprised there isn't a lot more Ezekiel-type literature here, but let's read what we have. And they will know that I am the Lord who redeems my people, giving them the covenant, Vakat. And I said, Lord, I have seen many from Israel who have loved thy name and walked in the ways of righteousness. And when will these things come to pass? And how will their piety be rewarded? And the Lord said to me, I will make the sons of Israel see, and they will know that I am the Lord, Vakat. And he said, Son of man, prophesy concerning the bones, and say, Come together, a bone to its bone, and a bit to its bit. And so it came to pass, and he said a second time, Prophesy, and let sinews come on them, and let skin spread over them above. And so it came to pass. And he said again, Prophesy concerning the four winds of heaven, and let the winds of heaven blow on them, and they shall live. And a great crowd of men revived and blessed the Lord of hosts who made them live. And I said, Lord, when will these things come to pass? And the Lord said to me, dot, 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 a tree will bend and stand up, dot, dot, dot. That's it for that fragment. It sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Kind of a paraphrase of Ezekiel 37, the Valley of the Dry Bones. But let's see if they keep going with this tack here in the next fragments. Lord, and all the people stood up, praising the Lord of hosts. I also spoke with them, dot, 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 vakat, and the Lord spoke to me, Son of man, say to them, dot, 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 in their graves they shall lie until, dot, 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 from their tombs and from the land. That's that fragment. Remember, every time I say dot, 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 that's not me being dramatic. That's where the text is fragmentary. We don't have the actual words that were written there. Unfortunately, as much as these were some well-preserved scrolls, there was weather damage, age, etc. to it. Next fragment. Instead of my grief, rejoice my soul. And the days will hasten quickly until men will say, Are not the days quickening so that the sons of Israel may inherit? And the Lord said to me, I will not turn away your face, Ezekiel. Behold, I will shorten the days and the years, dot, 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 a little as you have said to me, dot, 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 for the mouth of the Lord has spoken these words. It's clearly odd 
that this text would have Ezekiel being spoken of by name. That's not really how God addresses him in the book of Ezekiel proper. Typically, God just says, hey, son of man, you, basically pipsqueak. Hey, little squirt, I got a job for you. Go say this, go do that, that sort of thing. Well, let's move on to the next fragment here and see if maybe they get a little bit more specific. The vision that Ezekiel saw, dot, 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 the brightness of the chariot and four living creatures. And when advancing, they do not turn back. Every living creature walks on two legs and its two legs, dot, dot, dot. There was breath on their faces are parallel and the likeness of the faces. One is a lion, one an eagle, one a calf, and one a man. There was a hand of a man attached to the back of the living creatures and stuck to dot 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 the wheels. A wheel was attached to another when they advanced, and from both sides of the wheels there were coals of fire. And there were in the midst of the coals living creatures like coals of fire dot dot dot, and the wheels and the living creatures and the wheels. Okay, incomprehensible stuff. It seems to me that they're taking the infamous Merkabah, or chariot, passage at the beginning of Ezekiel, and they're trying to add little details here and there to it. Maybe a sugary way of keeping you interested, like, ooh, I didn't realize that detail. Oh, coal monsters. Coal angels, I guess, in there. Wow. Didn't say that in the original scroll of Ezekiel, but we can, we can keep reading and maybe get some more juicy, spiritual, mystical details here. And then he hits us with the next one, the next fragment here. <laughs> dot, 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 the earth, and they will know that I am the Lord, Vakat. And he said to me, Consider, son of man, the land of Israel. And I said, I have seen it, Lord, and behold, it is dry. When wilt thou gather them? The Lord said, A son of Belial is planning to oppress my people, but I will not permit him. His residue will not persist, and from the impure no seed shall remain. From the caper no wine will come, nor will a wasp make any honey. And I will slay the wicked in Memphis, and I will bring my sons out of Memphis, and turn favorably toward their remnant. As they say, there is peace and quiet. They also say the earth is as it was in the days of dot 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 in the days of old. And I will stir up heat against them from the four directions of heaven dot 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 devouring fire dot dot dot. He will have no mercy on the poor and will bring them to Babylon. Babylon is like a cup in the hand of the Lord. In time, he will cast it away. So first, in case you were wondering, no, the word Belial does not appear in the original book of Ezekiel. Yes, if you see son of Belial or sons of Belial, with Belial being used as a character, you can assume that this is probably some sort of pseudepigraphal inscription, usually a product of the Qumran community. Why? How do we know that? Well, in the Old Testament proper, the word Belial is often a word used for a worthless person, a naughty person, a bad dude. Not necessarily a proper name. Although, yes, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, St. Paul does use the word Belial as another name for the devil. Probably as a way to steer people away from seeing him as some sort of arch watcher in the Enochian sense, as the Dead Sea Scrolls proclaims. We covered that a few episodes ago. Really silly stuff. Ezekiel doesn't write like this. He doesn't talk about this Belial figure at all. He just doesn't. 
So, who does talk about him that way? Ah, yes, the Qumran community. And there you have it. Proof positive that this is a late written document against the Ptolemies of Egypt, uh, hence the Memphis reference here, that is trying to speak with Ezekiel's voice to get his authority on the matter. The last fragment isn't much different. And these are the words of Ezekiel. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy and say, Behold, the day of perdition of the nations is coming, dot, dot, dot. Egypt and anguish will be input, and the sword in Egypt, dot, 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 will shake itself, and Ethiopia and put, and the powerful of Arabia, dot, 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 of Arabia will fall at the gates of Egypt. Ah, we really want X, Y, or Z thing to happen, so let's just claim that Ezekiel said it would happen, and that's going to make people agree with us that this has to happen. I think at this point, literally nobody listening this far into the series is surprised by that. But something that is a little surprising is the prayer of Nabonidus, the last king of Babylon, Again, probably pseudepigrapha, but let's go ahead and read what this interesting little fragment says. The words of the prayer uttered by Nabonai, king of the land of Babylon, the great king, when he was afflicted with an evil ulcer in Taman by decree of the Most High God. I was afflicted with an evil ulcer for seven years, dot, 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 and an exorcist pardoned my sins. He was a Jew from among the children of the exile of Judah, and he said, Recount this in writing to glorify and exalt the name of the Most High God. And I wrote this, I was afflicted with an evil ulcer in Taman by decree of the Most High God. For seven years I prayed to the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone and clay, because I believed that they were gods, dot, dot, dot. And that's it for the prayer of Nabonidus. Why is that pseudepigrapha? Because Nabonidus, if you actually look into the guy, was a nut job that ran away to rediscover some new deity and uh, maybe in the course of that supplant the authority and political power of the priesthood of Marduk in Babylon. That is why King Belshazzar was in charge in Babylon while Nabonidus was out doing weird things, trying to uh, consolidate his power in a really goofy scheme. But the writer of this fragment seems to be dissatisfied with Daniel not saying the name Nabonidus, so he decides to just add that in there a little bit and give a little bit more credence to the intertestamental practice of the exorcists. Hmm. Again, This is something that is usually written to shore up somebody's authority or their thoughts on a matter. Now, sometimes with pseudepigraphal writing, with the fragments that we have, it just appears that they vomited onto some parchment and rolled it up into a scroll. The paradanielic writings that come next are a lot like that. This is one fragment that just says, The children of Israel chose themselves rather than God, and they sacrificed their sons to the demons of idolatry. God was enraged against them and determined to surrender them to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babel, and to devastate their land, dot, dot, dot. All right, that sounds like just a little bit of a midrashic kind of summary of the book of Daniel, uh, where it talks about the exile. Okay, fine. But then you get to the next fragment of the paradanielic writings, and it says, Daniel, dot, 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 the book given, dot, 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 Levi, Kahat, dot, 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 Buki, Uzi, 
Zadok, Abiathar, dot, 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 Hilkiah, dot, 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 Onias, Jonathan, Simon, dot, 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 and David, Solomon, dot, 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 Ahaziah, Joash. That's it. It's like a list of names that are included here, and you're almost tempted to wonder whether or not this was like the list of people that they had to add more pseudepigrapha for. Like, okay, you over there, Menahem, over here. Yeah, I need you to write some pseudepigrapha for Kahat. You over there, uh, Josiah, I need you to write one for Onias and Jonathan and Simon. And I'll go ahead and take the David ones and the Solomon pseudepigrapha. Let's get that done. Yeah. It writes like that. Otherwise, it just doesn't make sense. It's just a list of barely connected names. But we move on to the four kingdoms. I believe we're out of the pseudepigrapha here, but maybe we'll have some surprises. I saw an angel, standing on whom light shone, and four trees stood by him, and the trees rose and moved away from him. And he said to me, Do you see this shape? And I said, Yes, I see it and consider it. And I saw the tree dot 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 placed. And I asked, What is your name? And it said to me, Babel. And I said to it, Are you the one who rules over Persia? And I saw another tree, dot, dot, dot. And I asked it, What is your name? And it said to me, dot, dot, dot. And I said to it, Are you the one who rules over all the powers of the sea and over the ports and over dot, dot, dot? And I saw the third tree, and I said to it, What is your name and why is your appearance, dot, dot, dot. Goofy stuff here. The Four Kingdoms vision from a self-proclaimed prophet, or at least it seems like he wants you to think he's a prophet, saying, Huh, the angel showed me some trees. Are you what I'm trying to explain to the people? Hmm. <laughs> it's so on the nose. They are clearly trying to ape Danielic writing here. Daniel talks about his vision of the four beasts. Zechariah receives visions and instructions from angels, and Qumran's like, We need some prophetic writings that sounds a lot like that. Hey everybody, I had a vision of some trees, and I had a conversation with them. And I asked them, are you the symbol for the thing I don't like? Hmm. Yeah, it's a lot like that. Well, let's go over here to the Aramaic Apocalypse, formerly known as the, quote, Son of God document. Ooh, this is going to be interesting. I'm sure all the theorists out there who claim that you have an interaction with Christianity in the Dead Sea Scrolls. They just jump on this one. Oh, man. It says, The Spirit of God dwelt on him. He fell down before the throne. Dot, dot, dot. O king, you are angry forever, and your years. Dot, dot, dot. Your vision and all. Forever you. Dot, dot, dot. The great ones. An oppression will come to the earth. Dot, dot, dot. A great massacre in the provinces. Dot, dot, dot. The king of Assyria and Egypt, dot, 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 he will be great on earth, dot, 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 will make and all will serve, dot, dot, dot. He will be called or call himself grand, and by his name he will be designated or designate himself the son of God he will be proclaimed, and the son of the Most High they will call him. Like the sparks of the vision, so will be their kingdom. They will reign for years on the earth, and they will trample all. People will trample people in one province, another province, until the people of God will arise and all will rest from the sword. 
There, the people of God's kingdom will be an eternal kingdom, and all their path will be in truth. They will judge the earth in truth, and all will make peace. The sword will cease from the earth, and all the provinces will pay homage to them. The great God is their helper. He will wage war for them. He will give peoples into their hands, and all of them the peoples. He will cast before them the people of God. Their dominion will be an eternal dominion, and all the boundaries of dot, dot, dot. All right, that's an eschatological prophetic utterance that borrows some language from Daniel. Some of the phrases that he uses are similar to stuff Daniel says. However, this sounds a bit like they're trying to morph Daniel's history of the Greeks that he prophesied, trying to morph it into a prophecy of Antichrist, like a lot of Baptist and dispensationalist ministers did back in the 70s and 80s. So we have that, and then it more or less goes into, yeah, but the people are going to rise up and kill him, and it'll be cool, I guess. This is why this fragment has been at times called the Antichrist fragment, or an apocalyptic, because the guy's called the Son of God, but it's not sure that he really is, because it seems like he's coming from Assyria or Egypt or something, and then using that to oppress the children of God. So I would say it's not so much an actual prophetic document so much as it is an attempt to interpret things that Daniel says. Let's move on to the next document. We're actually pretty close to the end of the scrolls here, guys, if you can believe it. Proto-Esther, dot, dot, dot. And they listen to Patereza, your father, dot, 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 and amid the officials of the royal apparel, to work in the service of the king in accordance with all that you have received, dot, dot, dot. In that hour, the king could not go to sleep. Literally, his spirit was stretched. And he commanded that the books of his father be read before him. And among the books, there was a scroll, the mouth of which was sealed with seven seals by the signet ring of his father Darius, the heading of which, dot, 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 Darius the king to the officials of the kingdom. Peace. It was opened and read, and in it was found, dot, 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 Darius the king, to the kings who will reign after me, and to the officials of the kingdom, peace. It should be known to you that every tormentor and liar, dot, 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 the Most High, whom you Jews fear and worship, rules over the whole earth. Everyone whom he wishes comes near. Bagasro, dot, 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 whoever speaks an evil word against Bagasro will be put to death, for there is no one to destroy his good forever. Well, sounds to me given that that's the rest of the document, that maybe a guy named Bagasro wrote this. <laughs> or perhaps somebody was unsatisfied with the fact that the book of Esther does not mention the name of God even once. It is a pastiche that describes and portrays a historical circumstance in which God delivers his people and they don't do anything to thank him. They don't celebrate God, they celebrate themselves while Esther paints a picture of the children of Judah starting to become unfaithful again, even after they had returned from the exile, it still bugs people and has bugged them now for 2,000 years that God isn't mentioned, even though that's kind of the point. So maybe that's what this uh, pseudepigraphal author is trying to get across. But I digress. Here is the list of false prophets. Very, very short. The lying prophets who arose in Israel, Balaam son of Beor, the elder from Bethel, Zedekiah son of Kenaniah, Kenana, 
Ahab son of Koliah, Zedekiah son of Maaseah, Shemaiah the Nehlamite, and Ur dot 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 on. That's it for the list of false prophets. Maybe it was some prep work or chicken scratch for some homily on, hey, here's the false prophets and here's why there's bad. The last document in this particular section is the list of Netanim, or temple servants. It's one sentence. These are the Netanim who have been identified by their names. Ethra and dot 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 Tobiah. That's it. Now we can move on to the Qumran Miscellanea and see how far we can get. Now for you treasure hunters listening, the copper scroll that I'm about to read might interest you. Let me go ahead and read you the first column here of it just to show you why. 1. Ehorabah, which is in the Vale of Achor under the stairs, which go eastwards 40 cubits, a box filled with silver weighing in all 17 talents. Ken. 2. In the tomb of dot dot dot, the third 100 gold bars. 3. In the great cistern, which is in the courtyard of the little colonnade, at its very bottom, closed with sediment toward the upper opening, 900 talents. 4. At the hill of Colit, containers, sandalwood, and ephods, priestly garments, the total of the offering and of the treasure, 7 talents, and second tithe rendered unclean. At the exit of the canal on the northern side, six cubits toward the cavity of immersion, gar, five. In the hole of the waterproofed refuge, in going down towards the left, three cubits above the bottom, 40 talents of silver. Yes, Qumran contains a treasure map. It includes hidden treasure, or at least directions to it. Now, scholars have debated as to whether or not this treasure was actually a thing, or if it still is. Were they exaggerating these, or was it a uh, Jewish revolt, like 60s AD, kind of an idea here of like, here's our hidden money for our revolt. Maybe there was a temporary alliance between Qumran and people in Jerusalem to get their cooperation. We don't fully know. But the Copper Scroll is dated to about 100 AD. So it seems like this might be one of the very last additions to the Dead Sea Scrolls collection. I don't know if anybody can go out and find this treasure for themselves, but a talent is worth a lot of money if it's silver or gold or copper or something like that. And 900 talents is a whole heck of a lot of money. These people were squirreling away a lot of treasure. Let's keep reading here from column two. Number six. In the cistern of the Esplanade, which is under the stairs, 42 talents. Seven. In the cave of the old washer's house on the third platform, 65 gold bars. Eight. In the underground cavity, which is in the courtyard of the house of logs, where there is a cistern, vessels and silver, 70 talents. 9. In the cistern, which is against the eastern gate, which is 15 cubits away, there are vessels in it. 10. And in the canal, which ends in it, 10 talents. 11. In the cistern, which is under the wall on the eastern side, at the sharp edge of the rock, 6 silver bars. Its entrance is under the large paving stone. 12. In the pond, which is east of Colit, at a northern angle, dig 4 cubits, 22 talents. Now, if you're wondering... Where these people got this much money? Where did they get all these riches here for them to squirrel away national treasure style for Nicolas Cage to find or something? 
remember that every time a man joined this cult out there in Qumran, they made him forfeit his possessions. They made him give all of his earthly possessions to their council. They were able to save this up over time. Column 3. 13. In the courtyard of dot 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 in southerly direction at nine cubits, silver and gold vessels of offering, bowls, cups, tubes, libation vessels, in all 609. 14. In the other easterly direction, dig 16 cubits, 40 talents of silver. 15. In the underground cavity of the esplanade, on its northern side, vessels of offering, garments. Its entrance is in the westerly direction. 16. In the tomb of the northeast of the esplanade, three cubits under the trap, 13 talents. Column 4, number 17, in the great cistern which is in the dot 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 in the pillar on its northern side, 14 talents. Number 18, in the canal which goes towards dot 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 when you enter, 41 cubits, 55 talents of silver. 19. Between the two tamarisk trees and the Vale of Akon, in their midst dig three cubits. There, there are two pots full of silver. 20. In the red underground cavity at the mouth of the Asla, 200 talents of silver. 21. In the eastern underground cavity at the north of Koklit, 70 talents of silver. 22. In the heap of stones of the valley of Sechaka, dig dot 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 cubits 12 talents of silver. Now, could you find this stuff IRL? Could you go out there and try to find these treasures? Well, I hope you can, because you'll be a rich dude if you find all this stuff. But probably not. Remember, the Romans raised everything to the ground by 70 AD. And even though this document dates at 100 AD, that's assuming from memory that they have all this stuff figured out and that the Romans didn't find any. But then the Simon Bar Kokhba revolt happens and they probably raised it down even further and probably dug a lot of this stuff up, assuming that none of the refugees from these wars went out and got their gold and their silver and stuff. But maybe there's some extra details out there for our treasure-hunting friends. Column 5, number 23. At the head of the water conduit, dot dot dot, at Sekaka, on the northern side under the large, dot dot dot, dig three cubits, seven talents of silver. 24. In the split which is in Sekaka, in the east of the reservoir of Solomon, vessels of offering. 25. Quite close to them, above the canal of Solomon, 60 cubits toward the great stone, dig three cubits, 23 talents of silver. 26. In the tomb which is in the wadi of Kippah, going from Jericho to Sakaka, at its entry from Jericho to Sakaka, dig seven cubits, 32 talents. Column 6. Number 27. In the eastward-looking cave of the pillar with two entrances, dig at the northern entrance three cubits. There is a pitcher there, in it a book, under it twenty-two talents. Twenty-eight. In the eastward-looking cave of the base of the stone, dig nine cubits at the entrance, twenty-one talents. Twenty-nine. In the dwelling of the queen on the western side, dig twelve cubits, twenty-seven talents. Thirty. In the heap of stones which is at the ford of the high priest, Column 7, dig 9 cubits, 22 dot 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 talents. 31, 
In the water conduit of Q, dot, 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 the greater northern reservoir in the four directions measure out 24 cubits, 400 talents. 32. In the nearby cave in the proximity of Bet Hakos, dig six cubits, six silver bars. 33. At Dok, under the eastern corner of the guard post, dig seven cubits, 22 talents. 34. At the mouth of the water exit of Koziba, dig three cubits toward the rock, 60 talents, two talents of gold. Column 8. Number 35. In the water conduit on the road east of Bet Asor, which is east of Asor, vessels of offering and books and a bar of silver. By the way, if you're wondering why there would be vessels of offering and books and stuff, remember that the Qumran community did believe at some point they were going to take over. These are people who, as we read in their eschatologies and in their apparent polytheism, wanted to change up how worship was done at the temple. And it's not beyond the scope of imagination to think that they would probably prepare for that apocalyptic event by hiding all these temple furnishings that they wanted to be in there in closer proximity. These people truly did seem to believe that at one point their vision of the apocalypse would come true. But we continue on. Number 36. In the outside valley, dot, 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 at the stone dig, 17 cubits underneath, 17 talents of gold and silver. 37. In the heap of stones at the mouth of the pottery ravine, dig 3 cubits, 4 talents. 38. In the westward-looking stubble field of Hasho on the south side at the underground chamber looking northwards, dig 24 cubits, 66 talents. 39. In the irrigation of Hasho, at the stone sign in it, dig 11 cubits, 70 talents of silver. Column 9. Number 40, at the dovecot, or small opening, at the exit of Hanotef, measure out from its exit 13 cubits, two tusks, and on seven smooth stones, bars corresponding to four staters. Number 41, at violet scarlet. Over the eastward-looking underground chamber, dig eight cubits, dot, 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 twenty-three and a half. Number 42. In the underground chambers of Horan, in the seaward-looking underground chamber in the narrow part, dig sixteen cubits, twenty-two talents. Number 43. At the Koba, a large amount of money offerings. Number 44. At the sound of waters, waterfall, close to the edge of the gutter on the east side of the exit, dig seven cubits. 9 talents. Number 45, in the underground cavity on the north side of the mouth of the gorge at Bet Tamar in the parched land of dot dot dot, all that is in it is harem, or devoted to the temple. See, when they say things devoted to the temple, it's interesting to note they're not saying what that is. It could be that this is some of the more idolatrous stuff that they wanted in there that they couldn't justify in case any of their allies read this. So they just say, ah, it's stuff for the temple. They had no problem saying offering cups or vessels or anything like that. Of course, somebody would see that and go, yeah, this is for the temple. But when it comes to certain things devoted to the temple, <laughs> that's a mystery, pal. We'll take care of that one. Number 46, at the dovecot, which is at Mesad, at the wander conduit, column 10, southward at the second stair descending from the top, nine talents. Number 47, in the cistern next to the canals fed by the great wadi at the bottom, 12 talents. 
Number 48. At the reservoir, which is in Bet Karem, going to the left of 10 notches, 62 talents of silver. Number 49. At the pond of the valley of YK, uh, indeterminate translation there, on its western side is a maya coin coupled with two mayas. This is the entrance, 300 talents of gold and 20 pitched vessels. Number 50. Under the hand or monument of Absalom on the western side, dig 12 notches, 80 talents. Number 51, at the pond of the privy of Siloa, under the watering trough, 17 talents. And number 52, at dot dot dot, in the four, column 11, angles, gold and vessels of offering. Number 53, next to them, under the corner of the southern portico, at the tomb of Zadok, under the pillar of the covered hall, vessels of offering of reason and offering of Senna. See, when it comes to mundane temple offerings like reason and Senna, the kind of incense sort of things, they're willing to say that. I'm still thinking, though, on number 45 here when they say uh, it's just stuff devoted to the temple. Yeah, they're hiding something. Anyway, number 54. Next to them, at the dot dot dot, at the top of the westward-looking rock towards the Garden of Zadok under the great closing stone, which is at the conduit, devoted things. Don't worry, um, it's just special stuff for us. Number 55, in the tomb which is under the galleries, 40 talents. Number 56, in the tomb of the sons of dot dot dot, the Yaharite in it, vessels of offering of cedar, offering of reason. Number 57, next to them at Bet Eshtatain, or Bethesda, in the reservoir where you enter the small pool, vessels of offering of aloes, offering of dot dot dot. Number 58, next to them at the western entrance of the tomb is a channel over dot dot dot, 900 talents of silver. Column 12, 5 talents of gold. 59, 60 talents at its entrance from the west under the black stone. 60. Near to them under the threshold of the sepulchral chamber, 42 talents. 61. On Mount Gerizim, under the stairs of the higher underground cavity, a box and its contents, and 60 talents of silver. Number 62. At the mouth of the spring of Bet-Sham, vessels of silver and vessels of gold of offering and silver, in all 600 talents. Number 63, in the great underground duct of the sepulchral chamber towards the house of the sepulchral chamber, the whole weighing 71 talents and 20 minas. 64, in the underground cavity, which is in the smooth rock north of Colet, whose opening is toward the north with tombs at its mouth, there is a copy of this writing and its explanation and the measurements and the details of each item. So there's even more. If you were going to try to find this stuff, and maybe somebody's tried it already, I don't know how lucky they've been, it's something to look into in the future, uh, you'd want to find that last one, point number 64 on the copper scroll first to get more of the details, because they're kind of admitting there that, hey, hey we may have uh, left out some details there that you'll need to know more of in case the wrong hands get this particular scroll. Pretty cool, huh? We finally get to finish up the Dead Sea Scrolls, including some Indiana Jones-type stuff. Moving on, though, we have two more things to read. One is the cryptic texts. We don't know much about what they're supposed to be saying, but maybe, given that this is around the Copper Scroll, we can have some sort of cool secretive meaning to it. 
I doubt that we'll ever figure it out though because the Qumran community was pretty open about some of their crazier stuff. This wouldn't reveal much more even if you did decipher it. But here is the surviving text plus uh, whatever the translators could come up with. As it is written, And he went down in the house of the king to the secretary's chamber for the greenish and reddish cavities, dot, 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 from under the greenish or reddish, dot, 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 and after being scraped in it to bring them out from the city, dot, 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 from the house, dot, 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 the dust and the stones and the wood, dot, 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 after removing the stones, dot, 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 the plague spot has returned to the house and demolished the house, dot, 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 all without plague spot in it, one judgment. As it is written, the fish that is in the river will die, in dot dot dot. That's the first fragment. It's bouncing all over the place from something about a king's hidden secretary's chamber to Levitical rules concerning leprosy to when you have to demolish a house to a fish that's in the river dying. Got no clue. It could just be a collection of teeny tiny little fragments slapped together from them trying to collect biblical texts. But we continue on to the next fragment that says, Coming from little children to women, and they shall read into their ears all the precepts of the covenant, and to expound to them all their statutes, that they may no longer stray in their errors. And this is the rule for all the host of the congregation, for every native in Israel. From his youth they shall instruct him in the book of meditation, and according to his age they shall make him understand the precepts of the covenant, and he shall receive his discipline in their judgments for ten years. Sounds like it belongs to the community rule, but it's found with that cryptic stuff, so how it connects, we don't exactly know. But it probably has something very, you know, Qumran-esque as an explainer for it if we ever find out. And now, finally... Finishing up the Dead Sea Scrolls texts that I have in my hands. Are you ready to read the last thing with me? To Qumran Ostraka. Are you ready to feel pretty dissatisfied? Because I am. Let's read this. An Ostraka, by the way, is just a, like a potsherd used to jot something down. In year two of the dot 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 in Jericho, Honi son of blank gave to Eleazar son of Nahani his day from Holon, from this day to perpetuity, the boundaries of the house and blank, and the fig trees, the olive tree, question mark, and blank, when he fulfilled his oath to the community, and Honi, blank, to him his day, and the blank, and into the hand of blank, blank, his day servant of Honi, Holon. Ostraka number two, blank, blank, there's like clear delineations for lines here, Joseph, son of Nethnael, his sons from Engedi. That's it. Um, that, that's the last thing in the scrolls. Talking about a uh, slave contract where apparently they bought a slave and then decided he would become a member of the Qumran community, which isn't really freeing him from slavery. I'd much rather be a slave than a member of the Qumran community. That's way worse. But yeah, that's the entirety of the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's literally all of them. You and I have read all of it together. There may be a few fragments or documents that they have discovered since this edition was printed out, but 
Next week, we are going to go over the significance or lack thereof of the Dead Sea Scrolls and critically examine everything we just read. Goodness gracious. I guess we'll also see if there's any future for this project regarding the cottage industry surrounding the Dead Sea Scrolls and how we can best go about demolishing it. But until then, I hope you have enjoyed listening to Reading and Evaluating the Dead Sea Scrolls. I'll see you next week for it. Amen and amen.